Revelation chapter number 4. And the Lord laid it on my heart to continue in this wonderful chapter that we left off about a month ago. For those of you who were present, we looked at verses uh, 1 and uh, 2 and we're going to continue with the rest of this wonderful chapter this morning. Revelation chapter number 4. Why don't we read every second verse aloud together, shall we? Revelation chapter number 4. I'll begin in verse 1. Please read aloud with me verse 2 and every second verse. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. And after this I looked, and behold a door was open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee the things which must be hereafter. Together. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon, like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight, like unto an emerald. Together. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea like glass, like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honour and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honour and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Heavenly Father, we praise you this morning for your greatness and, Lord, your holiness. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the book of the Revelation. Lord, the book that you have given to us that reveals the future, the wonderful plan that you have for the ages. Lord, as we look into this special book, we thank you for the blessings that you promise as we read and hear and obey. Lord, we pray that you would teach us 
Help us to understand these symbols. Help us to understand what you would have for us in our daily lives. Lord, may we be willing to allow you to revive us again. Maybe, may we be willing to be broken if necessary, Lord, so that, Lord, you would give us a fresh desire to live for Thee. Lord, bless now, we pray. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. Well, I heard about a group of students in a Christian school who were playing basketball after the classes have ended. And on the side there was the janitor, this old elderly man waiting for them to finish and uh, waiting to finish his job. And one of the students playing noticed that he was reading a Bible. Well, one day one of the students decided to go up and ask him if he understood what he was reading. He could have been a little bit sceptical that this old man knew what he was reading. And when he asked, he said, well, I'm reading the book of the Revelation. Now, surprised, this young Christian school student asked if the janitor understood it. Oh, yes, the man assured. I understand it. Well, a bit sceptically, the student asked, well, what does the book of the Revelation mean? And the elderly janitor said with a quiet voice, it means that Jesus is going to win. And that is the most wonderful commentary of this most wonderful book. My friend, the book of the Revelation is the final climax, the final conclusion where God draws together all the promises and all the prophecies of His Word into one glorious ending. My friends, what a wonderful book. And we need to have the same confidence as this janitor had. We need to know as God's people that God is on the throne and that everything is in His control and then in the end He is going to win. Amen? That's the purpose of this book. Now, last time we looked at John, uh, excuse me, Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, as we see a door was opened in heaven and John was called up to God and called and said, Come up hither. Now, here we see John called up to heaven, carried into the future where he is about to behold the events of the last days. He is about to behold the judgment of God. Over seven years, the wrath of God poured out upon an unbelieving, unrepentant world. Now, don't forget that John is a type of the church age believer. What does that mean? Well, his experience in verse 1, one day may be our experience, to be caught up, amen, while we are alive, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, have you ever wondered, what are we going to do as Christians when we get to heaven? Well, this wonderful chapter reveals the answer to that question. This morning we are going to look inside the throne room of God. Inside the throne room of God. What do we see first of all? Well, notice with me, we see the person on the throne. Verse number 2. And immediately I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne was set in heaven. And one sat on the throne. Now, who is this one? Who is this one sitting on the throne? 
Well, we understand very clearly that a throne is a seat of authority, isn't it? A throne is a seat which a king or a ruler would sit upon. But this throne is unlike any other throne in the world here below. Why? Because verse number 2 tells us that this throne is set where? It is set in heaven. The one that sits upon this throne, my friend, is none other than God Almighty Himself. Amen? God is the all-knowing one. He is the all-powerful one. He is the ever-present one. In fact, the book of the Revelation has been entitled the book of the throne. Thirty-two times in this wonderful book, the word throne is mentioned and in fact, as you look at chapters 4 and 5, it seems that they're wholly dedicated to the throne of Almighty God. See, the one who's sitting upon the throne is the Lord. And as the world around us becomes godless, amen, day by day, thank God he is on the throne. Thank God he is in control. Psalm 47 verse 8 says, God reigneth over the heathen. God sitteth upon the throne of his holiness. You see, God is in total control. Let me ask you this morning, Christian, have your plans also been totally messed up this year? Well, I dare say they have. Has your calendar completely changed? Have you been wondering, well, can I plan anything anymore without it changing overnight? Well, that's the world we live in, isn't it? But we need to be reminded this morning that with God, everything is going according to plan. The one seated upon the throne of almighty power in the universe is God himself. And that's why we need a heavenly perspective. Because as we look around us at wars and rumours of wars, as we look around us at disease, as we look around us at, at wickedness increasing, as we look around us at the foolishness of those in authority, we can become discouraged. We can even, I dare say, despair at times. Our hopes dashed, our dreams vanishing, our earthly dreams And that's why we need a heavenly perspective because when we understand that God is on the throne, when we understand he's working his perfect, eternal and good plan out for the ages, then all our storms suddenly become a perfect calm. Our pastor has been enforcing the truth again and again from the book of Hebrews, amen? Christ is our rest. Christ is our sufficiency. That's why we need to look up. He is the ruling one here on the throne. Notice he's also the remarkable one. Verse number 3. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. Now, notice the word like in verse number 3. This tells us that John is trying to do the impossible. Look up here this morning. John is trying to describe the indescribable appearance of God. And so he's using something he's seen on the earth to try and describe the glorious nature of God. And he uses these two precious stones. No, God is not a rock. And God is not in a rock. That's the New Age movement. That's not the God of the Bible. The Bible tells us that he is like the brilliance of a jasper stone. 
Well, the jasper is a most precious stone. We read of it in Revelation 21. It is clear as crystal. It is made of a, a, a brilliant, precious gemstone and its light is brilliant. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 tells us that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. What a wonderful description of our God. The holiness of God. The purity of God. The undefiled nature of God. Aren't you glad that our God is a holy God? Now just before wrath is poured out upon the world, we are reminded that God hates sin. Judgment is coming. The sardius stone or the sardine stone is another transparent stone. But here's the interesting reality. It's not clear white. It is in fact the colour blood red. Well, there's a symbol, isn't there? The colour blood red. God is not only the holy God of judgment, but He is the eternal God of salvation, of redemption. God sent His only begotten Son to come into the world to die for sinners like you and I. Christ shed His holy blood to pay for our sins once and for all. And all those who come to Him in faith can experience their sins washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. Christian, think of it. One day, if you are saved, you will stand before the throne and you will see Him as He is in His brilliance, in His glory. Notice verse number 3. There's more. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. The Bible tells us that God is encompassed by an emerald rainbow of brilliant, transparent green. Now notice it is not a semicircle, it is a complete circle. For the Bible tells us that this rainbow is round about the throne, completely around. Now, one key to understanding the book of the Revelation, there are a few but one of them is to interpret it in light of what we're taught in the Old Testament. There are many Old Testament references in the book of the Revelation. This is one of them. Where do we learn of a rainbow in the Bible? Well, obviously in Noah's day. And I'm sure you know that by now. And and God gave the rainbow to Noah as a permanent sign that God would never what? Destroy the entire earth with a flood again. It was an eternal symbol of God's mercy. And in chapter 6, as judgment is about to fall upon the earth and as John is given this vision, isn't this a wonderful reminder that though God must pour out His judgment upon sinful mankind, yet at the same time His mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. Thank God that the God of judgment is a God of mercy. As we read this morning, mercy and truth hath met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. And God even then restrains His full judgment for one last opportunity for sinners to be saved. Yes, in that dreadful seven-year tribulation, that time to come, there will be souls saved. Amen? In God's mercy, He will redeem Israel to Himself. Amen? Then 144,000 witnesses will go out and millions around the world will be saved. Wow. 
the mercy of Almighty God, restraining His judgment even then at the very last. Aren't you glad He's the one that sits upon the throne? The ruling one, the remarkable one, the restraining one. Listen, Christian, if your world is falling apart, make sure you don't fall apart. God is on the throne and we ought to be the most stable people in the world. Amen? And the only way we can be is if we ground our faith in who our God is. He's on the throne. God wanted John to see that first of all before anything else took place. That's what we will see one day. But as Pastor has often said again, Christ is our rest. We can be at rest spiritually right now. We don't need to fret. We don't need to worry. We don't need to panic. In fact, when we do, and there will be times that we will, so don't be too downhearted, do you know that when we fret and when we worry and when we, overwhelm, when we are overwhelmed, do you realise who this one upon the throne invites us to do? Do you realise what he calls us as his children to do? With outstretched arms, he calls to his own and says, come boldly before my very throne so that you and I may receive grace and mercy to help in a time of need. Well, we see the one upon the throne, don't we? What a wonderful description of our God. Notice, secondly, the people around the throne. My friend, heaven is not just for the Lord. Heaven is for also those who know the Lord as their Saviour. The Bible tells us there are people around the throne. Who are they? Verse number 4. Stay with me. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting. So twenty-four people around the throne. What is the significance of that number? Well, we could come up with a few thoughts But what we do know is that there were 12 tribes in the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. Then in the New Testament, how many apostles were there? There were 12 apostles. And so we could safely say that these around the throne are a picture or a representation of all the saints that have been redeemed from all ages. They are seated around the throne. Look at the promise given to the church age believers in verse 21 of chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, verse 21. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. Can you see that, Christian? There's a promise from Christ that his own will sit with him in the throne as he is seated with God the Father. The Bible tells us that they are seated. Now here's another interesting truth. Verse number 4. Do you see the word seats? Four and twenty seats. The word seats is exactly the same word as the word throne. Thrones around the throne. The promise given in Revelation 3 verse 21. Now, the fact that they are sitting tells us something very wonderful. You see, these believers are finally 
at rest. Their battles are over. Amen? Their trials are long gone. Amen? Their tears are washed away. And no, they're not jumping and panicking. They're not fretting and falling over and fainting. No, they are seated and rested upon the thrones in the presence of Almighty God. Now, Christian, we face battles today and we must war a good warfare. But let's remember, yes, today our rest is in Christ, but one day we will experience that rest physically. Amen? The rest in the presence of our almighty God. They were at rest. Notice their righteousness in verse 4. The Bible says that they were clothed in white raiment. Do you see that in verse 4? In Revelation chapter 19, white raiment, pure and white, is described as the righteousness of the saints. Turn with me to Isaiah 61 for a moment. Isaiah 61. Let's look at what Isaiah described as the garments of salvation. Isaiah 61 and verse 10. Isaiah chapter 61 and verse number 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For He hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments. And as a bride adorneth herself with jewels. My friend, when God saves a sinner from their sins. Not only does He forgive their sins forever, but He washes away every stain of sin to come. Past, present and future, He declares that sinner forgiven. He declares that sinner who comes to Christ as justified, made righteous by the righteous blood of Jesus Christ. That sinner is clothed in garments. Their sins are washed away as white as snow. Though our sins be as scarlet, they shall be pure and white. And that's what these garments in Revelation chapter 4 represent. These are saints who have received Jesus Christ as their Saviour. You see, on earth, Once we are saved, spiritually we are clothed with His righteousness. But one day we will see those garments of salvation, brethren. What a wonderful picture of the righteousness of these ones around the throne. Now before we go on, my friend, what clothes are you clothed in this morning? Now I'm not talking about your church clothes. I'm talking about spiritually. How does God... Look upon your soul this morning. Are you clothed in the righteous garments of salvation in Jesus Christ? Has there been a time that you personally repented of your sins and put your faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross where He died and was buried and He rose again from the dead to pay for your sins and mine? When was there a time that you knew that you were forgiven forever, that you called upon His name to save you and you are now clothed 
in His righteousness. How does God see you this morning? You see, for 26 years of my life, I thought I was clothed in God's righteousness. In fact, I went about to establish my own righteousness. I thought that I was a good person. I thought that by praying to Jesus in the morning and praying to Mary at night, that would be enough to get me to heaven. And so when I felt guilty about my sin, I prayed. I asked God to forgive me. I asked Him to take me to heaven. And when I felt bad, I did some good things to other people just so I could feel better. Does it sound familiar? Yes, I was religious. I went to church when I needed to. I uh, I, uh, prayed when I had to. But in my heart of hearts, I really had no idea how God saw me. In fact, I feared that my feelings were not true. Now, the trouble came when I came through the doors of this church. And that's when I realised, through the preaching of God's Word, that even my righteousnesses are as filthy rags in the sight of a holy God. You see, because God is so radiantly pure and and, and holy and without sin, because He is on the throne, he must, he must judge sin and therefore the things I do that I think are righteous are as filthy rags in the sight of God. And for me to say I'm a good person is a greater insult than even my sins were in the first place. Wow. I realised that I was a condemned, wretched sinner deserving of the fullness of his judgment. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. My friend, you and I can't earn our way to heaven. There is nothing we can do. Have a look in Titus chapter 3, please. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 for a moment. My friend, are you trying to establish your own righteousness? Are you trying by some way to get to heaven? Well, God has something to say about that in chapter 3 and verse 5. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. Notice the first word. Not. Not by righteousness, by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. You see, my friend, it is only through the mercy of Jesus Christ that your sins can be washed whiter than snow. He loves you. He died for you. He's calling for you this morning perhaps to be saved, to be forgiven forever. Are you willing to come to Him? Are you willing to repent of your sins and call upon His name for salvation today? You see, either we are clothed in His righteousness and we will stand before His throne in glory or we are clothed in filthy rags and we will stand before His throne in judgment. Where do you stand this morning, my friend? Where do you stand? Well, the opportunity is available. Come to Christ today. Don't waste any time. These ones were at rest. These saints were clothed in righteous garments. Notice verse number 4, stay with me. Notice their rewards. The Bible says, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Do you see that? Back in Revelation chapter 4. 
Crowns of gold were on their heads. Well, the word crown describes a victor's crown. Now think about the Olympics in that day. The athletic events in Greece, it speaks of a crown that a victor would wear in athletic contests if they won. And we know biblically that after the rapture, the Christian will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. What is that judgment all about? Well, it is a judgment to see whether we've lived our life for God and what rewards we have earned. And the Bible tells us that Christ desires to give rewards to his people. And these believers are wearing crowns. Crowns of reward. Now, we don't have time to go through all the crowns in the Bible, but let me just mention them briefly. We are told about five crowns that can be won by the Christian. The crown of life in James 1.12 for those who endure trials and temptations. Christian, are you facing a fiery trial? Isn't it exciting that God wants to reward you for enduring that trial? Amen? Because he wants you to rely on his grace. He wants you to come before his throne. The crown of life, the crown of righteousness, those who live long for and live for the coming of Christ. My friends, Jesus said, Behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me to give unto every man according as his work shall be. Is your work motivated by the return of Christ? Or as Brother James did say that Sunday, are you just holding on for the rapture because you want to get out of here? Well, that's not a crown. Amen. That's a curse. We need to be working for the hour is late. The crown of righteousness. The crown of glory. A reward of faithful pastors. And no, you don't need to be a pastor or missionary to get a crown. But let me say this. There's a crown for the faithful minister. That's what the Bible says. In... uh, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 4. Now for those of you who are called to the ministry and if you choose not to to surrender to God's calling, if that is God's will for your life, then simply put, another man will take your crown. So don't miss it. Crowns of reward. There is the crown of rejoicing for the faithful witness of the Gospel. Amen? Let's be here on Saturday morning, amen? There is a reward for the faithful witness. Then there is the imperishable crown. Those who battle against the flesh, amen? Those who war a good warfare for Christ. Those who say no to sin. Can you imagine that by God's grace, He gives us the strength to say no to sin and He even rewards us in return. Think about that next time you are tempted, young person. Think about that next time you are at the crossroads of temptation. God is glorified when we say no to that wicked image, to that wicked choice, amen, to those wicked friends, a crown, an imperishable crown is waiting for you, you see. We'll be there in a moment, but in in, uh, verse 10 and 11 of chapter 4, we see that these ones round about the throne cast their crowns at his feet. They give those rewards back to the Lord in worship of him. Now, here's the truth. 
They cry out in verse 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord. And Christian, if Jesus Christ is not worthy to live for right now, then we will have nothing worthy to cast at His feet. They are crowned. Amen? Rewarded. And God doesn't miss a thing. That means He will reward you. He desires to reward you. Christian, let's not go empty-handed to heaven. Amen? We've seen the person on the throne. We've seen the people round about the throne. And notice thirdly, the praise before the throne. Verse number 5. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now as John beholds the scene before him, we see the praise before the throne. Here is the scene of praise. John sees amazing things taking place. He witnesses lightnings, thunderings, voices. If you understand the book of the Revelation, these things speak about approaching judgment. You see, judgment is coming. And you know what? The world may want the rainbow. They may put it on their flags and assume that God does not care about the abomination of their acts. Mankind loves to embrace the rainbow. But listen, they forget about the lightning. They forget about the thunderings. They forget about that God is a holy God and will judge sin. We need to flee from the wrath to come, brethren. We need to flee to Christ if we're not saved. God must judge sin. The Bible says, And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now you remember in the tabernacle, what did the lamp, the oil lamps, represent? The book of Hebrews, as it's being preached in the tabernacle, in the holy place, what did the lamps represent? Yes, they represented the tribes of Israel, but also the oil always represents whom? The Holy Spirit of God. Amen? Now understand what's happening. On the earth, the Spirit of God was the comforter to the believer. Amen? He was our teacher. He is our guide. He indwells us. But the moment the rapture takes place, the Spirit of God is in heaven. He once was the comforter and now is the witness towards the judgments to come. The seven spirits of God are described in the book of Isaiah. The fullness of the Spirit of God. This is the scene before the throne. The Bible tells us also, and before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And this is what we're working towards the end of the chapter. You see, there is a brilliant sea of reflective glass like unto crystal. And everything we are about to see is reflected twice, doubled around the throne of God and lifts up and resounds into everlasting praise for His glory. That's the scene. Notice the sound of praise in chapter 4. Are you still with me? Verse number 6. The Bible says, And in the midst of the throne, and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes, before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. 
Now these four beasts are some type of angelic creatures. Many people have tried to work out what they represent. Now there could be some deeper meanings behind each of these symbols, but remember John is using once again the word like. He is using symbolic language to try and best describe all that he saw. Now one thing's for sure, if you're a Christian, one day you will see and understand. But it is clear that these creatures, these angelic beings, represent all creation doing what God has designed creation to do, to worship before his throne. Amen? Notice verse number 8. The song of praise. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within. They rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was, which is, which is to come. Now isn't it interesting that Isaiah and Ezekiel, just like John, when they were given a vision of the remarkable glory of the Lord upon His throne, saw the same thing. They saw angelic beings with six wings. Do you remember what Isaiah said? With twain they covered their face. With twain they covered their feet. And with the other two they did fly. Why were they covering themselves as they were flying? Because they were before the ultimate holiness of God. This is the only characteristic, listen carefully, the only attribute of God that is repeated three times in the Bible. Holy, holy, holy. And that is His chief attribute, His character. That which is most important about God that He desires to be worshipped for. My friends, God is a thrice holy God. He's not our little friend down the corner that we play soccer with. Amen? He's a holy God. He is not the party Jesus of Hillsong. Isn't that right? God forbid. May Hillsong repent and turn to a holy song of God. He is not the live as you please Christianity of the emerging church where they think that judging someone is unchristian. No, my friend. God is the judge. And as Christians, He calls us to exercise righteous judgment within the church, within our families, within our lives. God is holy. And this is their song before the throne. Verse 9 tells us, And when those beasts give glory and honour and thanks to Him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, we are reminded that He will be worshipped for His holiness forever. Forever. That is the song of their praise. Now let me close with this. Now if you've been asleep till now, if you've gotten distraction, distracted, quickly look up. Right Here's the punchline. Here's the climax of this scene before the throne. The Bible tells us in, cha- in chapter 4, verse 10, that the four and twenty elders, as they hear these angelic beings worshipping before the throne, the Bible says that they fall down before Him that sat on the throne 
and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honour and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Now listen carefully. There is something absolutely essential for us to see in verse 11. You see, for these believers in heaven, their praise wasn't just made up by their words. Can you see that? They weren't just singing praise to God. There was a sacrifice that took place. They took off their crowns of reward and they cast those crowns before the feet of the Lord and they worshipped Him for they counted Him worthy. You see, my friend, to praise the Lord is not a song that we sing on Sunday. To praise the Lord is a life that we live from Sunday to Sunday. Now you can come here and say, well, Brother James, we can't sing. I'm dying to sing. Well, bless God, though we can't sing right now, we can still praise the Lord out there. Amen? We can praise God with our attitudes and with our actions out there. We can praise God by our witness of the Gospel and telling others that Jesus saves and challenging them to come to Christ before it's too late. We can praise God by turning away from wickedness. Look, none of us are as good as we should be. We need God's grace, do we not? But young people, listen carefully. Repent of your wickedness. Repent. Turn from it. You will be rewarded in heaven for saying no to sin, for turning your life to Jesus Christ once again by His grace. Amen? God will reward you and you'll have something to cast at His feet. We will be rewarded uh, for, for also looking for the coming of Jesus Christ and living according to His coming. Listen, we have been created for His pleasure. But Christian, are you living that way? Are you living that way? Let me paint a picture as I close. The believers are pictured here in Revelation 4 around the throne, rewarded. Heaven erupts in an exaltation of worship to God. Everything is a light. There is no shadow. There is no darkness. Christian, there is nowhere to hide. Everything is reflected by the sea of glass like unto crystal, at least twofold, being lifted up. Can you see the brightness of this place around the throne? And there we stand. And as others, as these elders, cast their thrones in sacrifice, excuse me, cast their crowns in sacrifice and worship to the Lord, what will we have to praise Him? think for a moment myself, if I'm standing there with nothing and I look around 
and everyone is casting their crowns. And I have nothing to offer but the praise of my lips. Not the sacrifice of my life, but the praise of my lips. And everything is being reflected, including my shame. I wonder if that lends a greater understanding to what Paul warned about in the book of Romans, that if your earthly works are worldly and worthless and are burnt up, ye shall suffer loss. Loss before the very throne of God. No, not your salvation. You cannot lose your salvation. But you'll lose the rewards which will result in you and I standing there empty-handed in this glorious reflection of God's holiness and goodness to us. That's a loss. If there ever was one, that is a loss. And that praise will resound for eternity. And I wonder if also our loss will too. Christian, are you living for his good pleasure or your own? Are you looking forward to praising him in heaven? Well, let's not wait for heaven to do it. Amen? We need to do it now. Now, my friend, if you're here this morning and you will say, James, none of this makes sense, and to be honest with you, I don't think Jesus Christ is worthy of my life. I'm happy to come to church, but I don't really want to surrender my life to him. Why would he be worthy of such a thing? Well, the reason why he's not worthy is because you haven't received him as your personal saviour from sin. So only then will he be worthy of your life. Amen? Once you receive eternal life, once you know that you've been forgiven, once you've experienced His salvation, He will be worthy. My friend, maybe you need to be saved today. Maybe that's the greatest need. Inside the throne of God, we see the person on the throne. We see the people around the throne. And then we see the praise before the throne. May He move us to please Him.